Well, good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether you're joining us live or you're watching this later on in the day, we hope that you are having an incredible long weekend and enjoying the beautiful weather outside. Uh, before I introduce our guest preacher today, I wanted to draw your attention to something exciting that has happened within our community. Many of you will be familiar, you'll know uh, Paul and Elizabeth Miller. Paul, who is our pastor of missions and outreach, or in mission and engagement, and uh, Elizabeth, who is a part of our teaching team and often will do pastoral prayers here. Uh, we're really excited to share that this past week they celebrated their commencement for finishing off their Masters of Theological Studies degrees. And so we just want to celebrate that. We know both of them have worked really hard, really diligently through over these last couple years to while raising a family, working and supporting a church, and then also doing this. And so we wanted to celebrate that, draw your attention to that. Uh, if there were people here, we would have them give them a big round of applause. Uh, and you can send your congratulations to Paul's church email account. Um, and if you have any big theological questions, instead of sending them to me, you can send them to him and Elizabeth from now on. Well, this morning, I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker, preacher this morning. He really doesn't need any introduction. I say that, uh, I know often people, when they're introducing people, they will say that, but in this case, it's actually true. Uh, our speaker this morning, our preacher this morning is... Mike Stone. And there's a whole bunch of things we could say in front of his name. Uh, apparently he's a doctor and a whole bunch of other things too, but he doesn't like to brag about that. Uh, and we're really excited to have him here preaching for us this morning. Mike was the original pastor here, uh, the lead pastor here at Forest View Church. And uh, he now works with, Vis he's the executive director for Visions Ministries Canada, an organization that works with churches and planting churches um, to help share the message, the good news of Jesus with not only Canada, but with the whole world. And Mike has an incredible love for the church, both universal, but also for Forest View Church. And so I uh, can't think of a better person to be here uh, to share with us the good news and to preach um, regarding Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so before we do that, I just want to share a quickly brief story because I get the opportunity to do the first time I met Mike. Uh, we connected while I was in the hiring process for coming on staff here at Forest View, and we met at a uh, trendy coffee shop in Uptown Waterloo. We were connecting, and his phone kept ringing, and he uh, graciously kind of kept ignoring it until he realized, I probably need to answer this. And so he picked up his phone, and sure enough, he had been called by the police, which is what you always want to hear when you're meeting someone for the first time. Uh, as it turned out, Mike uh, said, oh, wait, my car has been involved in an accident. I need to go deal with this. And so Mike left. He said, I'll try and be back in about 25 minutes. And so Mike, I saw him go off. And true to his word, he came back about 25 minutes later and shared that, yes, his car had been in an accident. He had forgotten to put the parking brake on and it had rolled into the car in front of him. I have no idea if Mike remembered to put the parking brake on this morning. I hope that's the case. It's an empty parking lot here, so he should be okay, regardless either way. But uh, incredibly excited to have Mike here. So Mike, I want to invite you to come on up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, I was going to thank Nat for the nice warm welcome, but he decided to embarrass me, so I'm going to withdraw my, my gratitude. Uh, Nat did mention that previously I, um, I pastored here at Forest View, 
and about five and a half years ago, I transitioned uh, away from that role and became the executive director at Vision Ministries Canada, uh, a role that I've come to enjoy over that time. And I used to live in Burlington uh, in the Hedden Forest community until about five years ago from the summer when we moved to Hamilton, we purchased a small uh, bungalow, uh, a mid-century bungalow, bungalow. And uh, when we moved in, it came with this three-season sunroom, which we, uh, we renovated almost right away, 12 feet by 16 feet. And after we renovated, I have found that I spend about, oh, probably 90% of my waking time. That's probably a bit of an exaggeration, but, but 90% of my waking time in that room. It looks great. It's comfortable. And I absolutely love that room. Well, at least until a week like this, when we had a heat wave. Because that heat wave, once again, exposed one of the design flaws of this room. We, we love to keep the windows open, even when it's still a little warm outside, because we prefer the fresh air uh, to actually the air conditioning air. Just like it a little better. Uh, the only problem with that is that we, we notice the room heats up fairly quickly. There is something wrong either about the placement of the operational windows or the size of the operational windows. I just can't get air to move through that room. And it's one of those things that bugs me about it, about the only thing. Now, you know when you have something that you've been involved in designing or planning and maybe there's a mistake and it bugs you long afterwards, the last thing you want is for someone else to point it out or to remind you of it? Well... My, uh, my wife, Sharon, uh, she walked in the room midweek, and as she has said in the past, boy, this room is hot. There's just no air moving whatsoever. And, you know, with my teeth grit inside, it's like, Ugh. And wanting to defend the uh, design of the room, I quickly looked up at the windows and the operational windows, hoping that some of them would be closed, and that would be my, my vindication or my justification. See, they're closed, they just need, be they need to be open. But no, they were all opened already. And then I thought, and I actually said to her, no, honey, you know what the problem is? There's, there's just not much air movement outside. It's kind of a, a dead calm today. And I opened the door from that sunroom and walked out on the deck in order to check it out and prove it, only to discover that I was wrong. There was, in fact, a breeze, a relatively nice breeze that was somewhat cool and somewhat refreshing, even though it was hot outside. You know, you can't force the wind. I mean, I have this sunroom that has three windows on the one side, three operational windows on one side, three operational windows on the other side, and just through the doorway is our kitchen. There's a window there that you can open up. I should be able to make air move through that room easily. But you can't force the wind. It finds or it seeks its own path. It's like it has a mind of its own. Now, that was Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, I realized I had to get ready for my Pentecost preacher at Forest View. So I sat down and I opened the narrative that I wanted to work from. I hadn't read it yet, at least not, uh, not for a while. And as I opened the passage, John's Gospel, chapter 3, Verse 8, I came across these words. Jesus talking about uh, the mysterious workings of the Spirit, and he uses the analogy of a wind, or of the wind. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
That first part again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. When Jesus first shares this understanding of the, or his thoughts of the Holy Spirit, he is speaking with none other than a religious insider, a religious leader, a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nick, if you don't know, was the epitome of power. He was somewhat of the poster child for all that it means to be privileged in life. For one, he was a Jew. And as a descendant of Abraham, there came with that lots of spiritual entitlement. He was also a Pharisee, somebody who excelled in the religious law, both knowing it and practicing it. He was one who was numbered amongst the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling council in the land. Here, think of the Supreme Court of Canada. So, so he had lots of power. And while we don't know his, his exact role in life, he is presented to us as a teacher of teachers, the teacher of Israel, perhaps the highest ranking teacher in the whole land. And did I mention also that he was wealthy? Here's a man who came from the upper echelons of society, one who was a part of a, the, the elite class, and yet all the things that he had going for him, all the advantages, they were for him somewhat of a liability when it came to understanding the profound ways of the Spirit. And what I'd like us to do is to look again at that verse, but not just that verse, the fuller story, uh, verse 1 down to verse 8 of chapter 3, there Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and there's a bit more for us to consider. But before I read it for you, I want you for a second to imagine the setting. I want you to close your eyes. It's been a hot day in Israel. It's now moved to nighttime. The sun has already set on the Judean hills. It's gone very quiet except for maybe the sound of crickets and cicadas and maybe the shuffling of an older man's feet as he is seeking a private audience with this charismatic Galilean. And then as Nicodemus finds this place where Jesus is and he finds himself in, in company with him, imagine for a second a warm wind blowing off the Mediterranean. Now there was a man, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from 
or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Nick comes to Jesus by night. Why? Because Jesus is a little bit of a rabble rouser. If you go back just a chapter before, we find Jesus in the temple. He is chasing the money changers out of the temple. The, the people who, the, the merchants who are responsible for, for the currency exchange. And in the process, he's knocking over tables and I'm sure leaving quite a mess behind. And before that, in the early part of chapter two, he's in Cana. He's at a wedding and there he performs a miracle. He turns water into wine. Great, right? A fabulous feat. A wonderful thing he pulls off. Other than he chooses to use water that was set aside very specifically for religious purification rites. He's a guy who causes trouble. Nicodemus needs to be careful who he's caught with. He has a reputation to uphold. But he manages to find a private audience with Jesus. And as he walks into that space, he very much takes charge. He, he's polite at first. He refers to Jesus as, as rabbi, but he quickly transitions from that into more of a telling mode. Have you ever found yourself at a social gathering and you were seated, unfortunately, beside a person who has this urge to tell you or to let you know that they know everything about everything? That's kind of what Nicodemus is up to here. You, you, you can hear him, he says, in, in talking to Jesus. Well, we know that you are a teacher from God. The, the miracles kind of prove it. We know. Well, Nicodemus, you know what we know reading this story? We know that you're a little bit of a Nicky know-it-all. You seem to know or think you know absolutely everything. And you can hear it if you listen carefully between the lines. You can hear the presumption. You can hear the arrogance. You can hear the certitude. The kind that is shaped and forged by the sort of training that he would have had or the job that he had or his station in life. But Jesus will have none of it. He cuts through uh, the, the pompousness. He cuts right through it. His posturing. And he says to him, he calls him out, unless you perceive, or un unless you are, um, yeah, without, without perceiving or experiencing the kingdom, uh, let me get this straight here. You need to perceive uh, the kingdom. Uh, I've got this backwards now. If you don't, or in order to perceive or experience the kingdom, you must be born again. Or you must be born anew. Or you must be born from above. All three of those are legitimate translations. Now, when you listen to Nicodemus' response, it's difficult to tell how much he understood what Jesus was saying. It's tough to tell whether or not he's confused by the, the birth illustration, maybe just reading Jesus a little too literally, or maybe he gets it, maybe understands it's just a metaphor, but he's struggling with this idea of how an old person like himself could actually start all over again, how he could gain a whole new lease on life. Whatever Jesus is saying, all Nicodemus is hearing is something that is implausible. And so Jesus slows things down, 
and he unpacks it a little further. Nicodemus, to be born again, to be born anew, to be born from above means that you need to be born of the spirit. Actually, what Jesus says is that you need to be born of water and spirit. But I think it's fair to say that we can see those two things as one and the same. When you receive the gift of God's spirit, the spirit comes inside us and washes us and makes us, makes us clean. This is when Jesus breaks out his analogy of the wind in verse eight. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. And I think it's important for us to understand here that, that Jesus is working a little bit of a pun. In Greek, the word that translates wind can also be translated spirit and can be translated breath. In other words, you could read this passage, the wind blows wherever it pleases or the spirit blows wherever it pleases or the life-giving breath of God breathes wherever it pleases. Jesus' point here, I think he's trying to draw Nicodemus' attention to the fact that, that he's one of these guys that's given to control. All his theological acumen, his political power, his mastery over religion, he is so used to being in control that what Jesus is talking about now might be just a little too difficult for him. Nicodemus, this is something that you will never master. That is the spirit. You can't master the spirit because the spirit is free and untamed. If anything, the spirit needs to master you. Now, I'm intrigued by what Corinne McLean, how, how she refers to the Holy Spirit, or at least it grabs my attention. She says that the Holy Spirit is the wild child of the Godhead. That might be a little bit of a stretch of a, a metaphor, but at least it causes us to pause for a second and reflect. The Holy Spirit is loose in this world, in wild and disruptive ways, transcending human comprehension, transcending human control. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is elusive and mysterious and unpredictable, the Holy Spirit will not be contained by rules and regulations and formulas. I love that I am a part of a church. I used to pastor here. We still worship here. It is still our church family. I love that I'm a part of a church that has as one of its core values a heavy emphasis on the mystery of God. And a nudge to live in awe of that mystery. Not to think that we can ever master it. A nudge to actually leave our lives open to that mystery. To let it invade us. I think, however, sometimes we might find it a little too easy to think of that concept as being something hip and cool. It might be a little too easy to romanticize the, the idea or the notion of, of the mystery of God. Might be just a little too easy to love it. Oh, isn't that, that just sounds so great. Until the God of that mystery invites us out of our place of security, invites us to step into that mystery. I turned 56 years old last month. And if I'm honest, looking back over life, 
I feel in many ways, or maybe I should say in some ways, it was easier to trust God in the early years. Or it it was easier to pay attention to the Spirit's prompting and to follow the Spirit's leading. It was easier to do that before acquiring a few theological degrees. It was easier to do that before attaining roughly 30 years of pastoral experience. It was easier to do that than before becoming the executive director of a national network of churches where, where sometimes I'm on the other end of the phone and the person that's talking to me is looking to me for answers and solutions. It was easier sometimes to, to follow the Spirit before becoming a, a religious professional. You know, I read the story and in some ways I, I pause and I think, I, I, I've become Nicodemus. And and not just me, maybe you too. If you have been nurtured by or exposed to the evangelical tradition, there's a good chance that you have become fond of this narrative because of the way that it popularizes the concept of being born again as the means of entering into a relationship with God. To be born again. Here is a phrase and a concept behind us that helps us understand that that we, we can know God. We can be God's friend again. Through acknowledging our brokenness, through turning from that brokenness and placing faith in Christ, God welcomes us back into relationship with him. He gives us his spirit who cleans us up and who regenerates us. He gives us a, a brand new lease on life. And listen, this is something that's incredibly important. If, if you're out there and, and you feel far from God and you feel like you've made mistakes and you've blown it in so many different ways and and if there's a creator God out there there's no way that that God would want anything to do with you you have got it wrong God loves you so much through turning to his son and yielding your life to him you can be welcomed back into a love relationship with God that would be my prayer for you if you don't know Jesus as savior if you don't know God because you've never turned to him in your brokenness and cried out for help. But there is some irony as I think about this born again passage. When Jesus coined the phrase born again in his conversation with Nicodemus, let's remember that at that point, he is inviting a religious insider to step out of the controlling confines of religion, to step out of the safety and the security. Here's the irony Evangelicals, often without even realizing it or knowing it, have embraced this phrase, born again, as a, it's not even conscious, but as a means to become religious insiders. It's almost like a move in the opposite direction. And, and once, once on the inside, if, if you look at our communities, Nicodemus's and, and, and our present day community, in some ways, they're very similar. Nicodemus' community, it had a book. We have a book. They love to study their book. We love to study our book. They took their their book serious. We took, we take our book serious. They want to heed and obey it. We want to heed and obey it. And sometimes in this, uh, this, this radical commitment to the book, as we 
kind of understand it and get our heads around it and, and think we've got it mastered, we can easily, without knowing it, become smug and elitist because we now know. And at that point, we can easily become, we can find ourselves in a, a very dangerous spot where our sense of self-sufficiency can cause us to be less interested in paying attention to the Spirit and less practiced at actually following in step with the Spirit. I suppose Pentecost is as good a Sunday or as good a day as any to remind ourselves that before there was a book, there was a church, a believing community. And before there was a believing community, there was a Holy Spirit given by God. God pours out the Spirit. The Spirit calls the believing community or the church into being. The church is born. And the Spirit, through the church, gives that community a book, the Bible. That's the order, which is why I find it odd at times to to go on a church website, actually quite a few websites, to look at their doctoral statement. And at the very top, often the very first statement is about the Bible, not God. There'll be a statement about God or the Trinity underneath that, maybe something about Jesus and where salvation. And partway down, halfway down quite often, or towards the bottom, you find a statement about the Holy Spirit. It's like the Bible has become the foundation in a way that, that probably God should only be. And as important as the scriptures are as a way to know God, I suppose this is a good day to remind ourselves that when it, when it comes to studying the scriptures, no one was better studied in understanding the scriptures of their own time, in this case, the Old Testament, than was Nicodemus. And yet, Nick, the know-it-all, remained obtuse to the things of the Spirit. He had lots up here, but he didn't perceive, he didn't get the ways of the Spirit of God. And suppose of any Sunday, Pentecost Sunday would be a good time to pay attention to to the way that John organizes his stories in the gospel as he's theologizing. He's arranged the narratives in such a way that he, it allows him to, to compare or to contrast the life of Nicodemus with the life of somebody who shows up in chapter four, somebody that Jesus talks to by a well. A woman who, we're never told her name, I guess she's a nobody compared to Nicodemus, We do know this about her. She lived a morally disgraceful life. She belonged to a group that was religiously suspect or questionable. Theologically, basically, she was a zero. She had no theological capital. And yet here's a person who, within just a couple minutes of conversation with Jesus by that well, The light goes on for her. And I believe the Spirit of God invades her life. She's open to the Spirit because in very short order, she's back in her neighborhood, talking to family, talking to friends, talking to neighbors, bearing witness to this one that she knows is sent by God, this holy man. Obviously, she had no problem opening her life to the influence of the Spirit. Do you see what John is doing here? 
in writing his gospel to his own community, he is warning them, he is warning the religious insiders of his day and those to come in all the generations to follow how dangerous it is to put too much confidence in your own religious pedigree and resources because if you do, there is a chance you will miss the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. I celebrate our anniversary tomorrow. Actually, we celebrate our anniversary tomorrow. Uh, On Monday, my wife and I, Sharon, we will have been married 35 years. And I have loved every one of those years in my life with her. She has been a great gift from God to me. My, My perfect match. There is nothing that I would change when it comes to who I want to spend life with. She has been the perfect gift from God. I remember when I first met her. Actually, it would be more, I had met her before this uh, on one occasion. This, this would be my first significant exchange with her. It was on a beach in Sarnia, Ontario. I wasn't sure that she noticed me or saw me, and I wanted to get her attention. I wanted to impress her. So what I did was I uh, went and picked her up, and I walked over, and I threw her in the lake. I, I know that sounds strange, but that's what nervous grade 10 boys do when they don't know what else to do to get the attention of a girl. And while I may have gotten her attention, I'm not sure I impressed her because if I remember correctly, she was wearing white pants that day and that didn't go over very well. But at the very least, I managed to grab her coat, which was an excuse to go and visit her later. And between that day on the beach and a short time later when I went and dropped off that coat and had a chance to spend some more time with her, between those two points, I said to one of my friends, she's the one. I'm going to marry her someday. I, I know it. Which I know to, to you, if you're listening to this, think you think, well, this is, this is weird. Uh, n- nobody says something like that that early on. There's no time for a risk assessment. There's no time to, you know, get the sheet of paper out and to draw the line down the middle and one across the top, pros and cons. To, you know, there are more good things than there are bad things. There's none of that. We, we had spent so little time together that we barely knew each other. But there is a way of knowing friends that doesn't always involve logic and reason in the decision-making. Sometimes this way of knowing is more about gut. It's more about intuition. It's more about discernment. And I think when it comes to discerning the ways of the Spirit and staying in step with the Spirit, I think the latter is often more important than the former. If you want to be involved in the Spirit, you want to stay in step with the Spirit, then it's going to involve being attentive to the way that He is actively actively present in and around your life. It is going to involve listening. Yes, listening with, with the book in hand, reading the book. Yes, listening in community in fellowship with other, with other believers, listening together. Yes, those two things, but always mindful that it is the Spirit who gave us the book. It is the Spirit who gave us the community, and the Spirit will be controlled by neither. And I think it is a reminder that there will be times in our 
our faithful listening or our faithful following. Listening and following in a way that pleases the heart of God. That because the spirit is so wild and so unpredictable, our faithful listening, our faithful following may surprise family and friends. In fact, it may unnerve them. In fact, there may be something about the way that we're following the spirit that is disruptive to them and to the entire community that we find ourselves in. In very much the same way, I believe it was for Nicodemus and for his community. As he goes through this transformation and as we come to John's gospel, chapter 19, the very, time, the very last time we read about Nicodemus in John's gospel, we, we read about him on this day climbing Golgotha's hill with Joseph of Arimathea so that together the, these, these two men, members of the Sanhedrin, transformed now, not one of the disciples, they're nowhere to be found, but two members of the Sanhedrin, they climbed Golgotha to retrieve and prepare for burial the body of someone they had come to love dearly as friend. The first time Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was under the cloak of darkness. It was at night. But this time, he would come for Jesus in broad daylight, in full view of the Roman and the Jewish authorities. He came risking his reputation, his livelihood, his career, his very life. And in coming to prepare that body, he spent a fortune on it. We are told the money he spent to prepare that body was the equivalent to 100 years' wages. Somehow or another, Nicodemus, I believe with God's grace, found a way to step out of the certitude of religion. But much like Frodo leaving the security and the safety of his beloved shire, we find here Nicodemus stepping out of all that rigid control, all that security and safety, and into a life of following the unpredictable spirit. He threw caution to the wind that he might better follow, follow the holy wind of God. That would be my prayer for you, Forest View, and all who are listening in and hearing this text today. My prayer would be that God would give you the grace to let go of all the things that are your safety blanket, all the things that provide you with security and surety, and to step out into the, the great unknown, into the wild journey that the Spirit of God wants to take you on. May God give you that grace. Amen.